Good morning and welcome to Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses. You are listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa. In Ottawa at 95.7, in Toronto at 106.5. You can also be listening on the Radio Player Canada app. And if you're not, well, you could download the app and then you could type in 95.7 ELMNTFM or... 106.5 ELMNTFM. Maybe you don't need to listen on the Radio Player app because you're listening to it right now. But maybe you have a friend that is somewhere in the other part, another part of the country. Well, tell them. They could download that app and type in those uh, coordinates and they could listen anywhere across the country on their device of choice. This morning, we have a couple of guests that are going to be in the studio. My first guest this morning is Jen Harper. She is from Cheekbone Beauty. And we're going to be talking with her momentarily, but I'd also like to mention that our guest coming up later on in about uh, 45 minutes or so is Brian Wright McLeod. And we will be talking with him about his new gig uh, here at Element FM. And we'll be talking more about Brian and his, uh, his incredible history with music. And you may have heard of the film Rumble that uh, he, he, his material from his encyclopedia of music was used uh, in creating that film. We'll be talking to him coming up at 11.45 or so. But right now, Jen Harper, welcome to the program. Thanks for being here with us. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. And uh, Cheekbone Beauty, I love the name. It's, it's great. You know, you always hear about cheekbones, right, with, with cosmetics. Now, um, a little bit about you. You're, uh, you are from originally from Thunder Bay, but you were raised in the Niagara area of Ontario. And you also uh, created Cheekbone Beauty because you felt there was a need to have a brand for real people, an interesting word, real people, that offered the latest trends and was super easy. Well, super easy to me sounds like a real big brush about the size of your face. You slap it on and you're ready to go. All right. That sounds super easy to me. <laughs> but uh, you said there needed to be a brand that was made in Canada that was never tested on animals and gave back to First Nations communities. Interesting. That's a very interesting blend. And, of course, you are a First Nation heritage yourself. Correct. I sure am. I'm Ojibwe. Um, and my family is from Northwest Angle, which is, I always say, like the furthest west in Ontario pretty much you can get. It's like an hour south of Kenora. Um, when I go visit them, I fly into Winnipeg and then drive mm. back back into Ontario. Yeah, because that's about an hour, like you said, from Winnipeg, right? Back it's in Ontario. It's like a three-hour drive. Oh, from really? The, yeah. But mm-hmm. I, I guess to the Ontario border. Yes. It's about an yes. hour, right? Yes. Okay, so, and you say it's south of Kenora or north? An hour south. Of Kenora. Yeah. Okay. And in my head, I always thought it was north as well, so it's fine. But then I looked at it um, not too long ago on a map, and I'm like, Is that kind of like the Lake of the Woods area? It is. It's It's set right. Absolutely gorgeous. I, the first, I hadn't seen my family and been back to my family's home reservation in over 20 years, Mm. and I went to go visit my dad for the first time um, we had a very, I guess, non-existent relationship for a really long time. So when mm. I was 40, I had all these big plans that I wanted to do. And that was obviously fix fix this relationship with my dad. And so I'm, you know, fly to Winnipeg, get off the, and do that three-hour drive. And then I only made it to about Kenora because it was so dark that night. And then I just got a hotel and I said, I, I called and I said, I'll come in the morning. And I'm really glad I waited because that drive from Kenora into um, into uh, Sioux Narrows is just stunning. Mm. You're surrounded by the, the boreal forest yeah. and, and the Lake of the Woods is just gorgeous. It really and is. It's a beautiful spot definitely to reflect on that yeah. 20 years of not speaking to someone. <laughs> yeah, it's a gorgeous, gorgeous part of, uh, of the province. That yeah. uh, It's unfortunate it's so, it's so far to get to from, from yes. this part of the province, but yeah. it is a really beautiful area. If you haven't been there, for our listeners, uh, I'd recommend you check it out online and maybe plan a trip up that way because it really is a, a gorgeous part. So, you know, uh, Jen, talking about Cheekbone Beauty, I think you started it about about 10 years ago or so? Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no? <laughs> no way. Uh, so the I'll try to do this story very quickly because okay. I tell it all. This is the ultimate beginning. Yep. Uh, got sober in November of 2014. In January of 2015, I literally had a dream about this business or the beginnings of it. It's uh, 2 a.m. I jump out of bed. I literally scream, this is it. This is what I'm going to (laughs) do. And I like tell my husband. He rolls over and goes back to sleep. He hates when I say that part, but it's true. (laughs) And I grab my laptop. And in this dream, there were all of these Native little girls. And they were covered in lip gloss. So I wake up and I'm like, that's it. 
start a foundation in my grandmother's name, Emily Paul, residential school survivor, and I want to create scholarships for youth. And how I'm going to do that is sell these lip gloss, lip gloss, right? So fast forward through 2015, and that was the year what I call like diving in, like market research, business planning, using a business advisory board right here in Toronto, um, and then then breaking the news to me that okay, you can't start a foundation and a company at the same time. So why don't you find an organization that Mm. you can support? So um, we are now just into two and a half years of selling products from our digitally native direct-to-consumer brand. Um, It's this, you know, that thank goodness for the internet, it's this whole new concept of Mm -hmm. retail that you do not need a brick-and-mortar space Mm -hmm. to run a company. You can do this from from, uh, an online area. And that makes it accessible. And which I be, what I personally love about that entire concept is our youth, our people in where remotely, wherever they are, if they have something that they want to sell and something that they've created, they want to put out into the world, like this is making it possible for all of us to build these things that we want and to show it to the rest of the world. Um, and that was the beginning of the planning and then realizing that I had to find an organization that I could support because to me that was the that was the why that was the reason I did this I I had a really good job mm-hmm. um I so it wasn't about an employment issue this was about a bigger purpose that indigenous youth in this country get treated really unfairly as well as indigenous people on so many levels and there's so many um issues surrounding our people but what could I do to create awareness on that, but then ultimately show Indigenous youth that um, we can create essentially our own economies and not rely on these sources that are failing us ultimately, but we can do something and make it on our own. And that was like the beginning of the idea and how to do it. And then we found, um, it took me a while to find the organization because then this trust thing came into play. Like, okay, I'm going to make this money and then I'm going to give it to an organization. Who am I going to trust? Well, literally prayed the night before I found Cindy Blackstock's organization, the First Nation. (laughs) And if anyone knows Cindy Blackstock, (laughs) which many people do, it's like she is the epitome of integrity and indigenous values. Absolutely. And I couldn't be more happy to to give money to to this organization. Yeah, you you, you picked a, a winner with Cindy. She's, yeah, it wasn't me. This was divine. I ultimately yeah, believe the creator such a, helped. A great uh, voice uh, and and someone that just is is unrelenting. She yeah. just is. She's just wonderful. But in a like such a when we say that, when I think of activism, um, sometimes I think of anger and hate, and I believe that there's this new form of activism, which I choose as a brand we've built. This this is the foundation of Cheekbone Beauty. We're building it on is this. Is that found- a pun there, foundation? <laughs> it could be, totally could. We're not into foundations yet, but one day we will be. But the foundation of our company is, I believe, on love and like mm. showing that with action. What are Mm. we actually doing to show Mm -hmm. that we love Indigenous youth? And everything we do as a company, every decision I make, I ask myself, how will this empower and enhance the lives of Mm. Indigenous youth in some shape or form, right? So even just coming here today to do this show with you, ultimately, I know when people hear about what we're doing, or if some youth hears this and says, oh, I do have this incredible idea. I want to make this. I want to do that they can see that somebody else has done it so that they can do it as well. You know, it's very, very interesting um, and also very common, I think, about what you're saying. Um, we, there's so many things there that you talked about, but you, you launched into saying how it's basically giving back and it's bringing awareness. And, um, and, and I find more and more people that we have on that are Indigenous uh, heritage uh, want or have a story that they want to share that can somehow benefit back to the people of indigenous heritage that they can, you know, there's a link. It's not just about them. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if it's a, an entrepreneur or if it's a, whatever they're doing, there's always a link somehow back to say, this is not just about me. It's not just about me and it can't be. And it's because of that shared heritage and it's about that, that intergenerational story uh, of of abuse and and uh, things that have happened to us as indigenous people, whether it was direct or indirect, that that somehow links us that we say this this is never just about me. This this has to go back. We have to we have to try and help those that are following us. We have to have to try and find a way that we can benefit those uh, other than 
you know, it's not just me lining my pockets. It's not just about me getting the glory here. This is about how can I do more to help others as well. Mm-hmm. And so it's very, uh, it's very uh, encouraging to hear you you bring up those things as importantly as what you're doing yourself for your for your business as an as, and as an entrepreneur. So, Nyawa Miigwech for saying that and sharing those things. Now, I, if you don't mind, I'd like to go back because okay. you you said quite a few things there, and. The first thing you said that, that when you started was, I sobered up in 2015 yeah. or 14 or whatever it was 14, you mentioned. November 26th. <laughs> Can you take us back then about the story previously? I mean, obviously you said this, you had a job, you were, you were well employed. So you're now an entrepreneur. You took these things on. There's a lot of things to talk about to, to explore down this road that you're referring to. So um, can you take us back a little bit? I mean, before we came on the air... You also mentioned about how you really didn't have a relationship with your dad, mm-hmm. that you were raised by your, your non-Indigenous mom in Niagara, I guess it mm-hmm. was, and really didn't know much about your heritage at all. Very true. Um, so going f- all the way back there, um, my mom lived in Niagara. My dad, when I was younger, did live in Toronto. Mm. So I think it was I was about 19 when he actually moved back to our family's home reserve um, so I did have a sporadic relationship with him. We, mm. I did visit him on weekends. And when I was um, 12, I actually, like most, I think, preteens do, didn't want to listen to my mom. So she's like, <laughs> fine, go live with your dad. <laughs> so he lived in Gabriel Dumont with my stepmother mm. and my brother and stepsister at the time. So we, I moved there and it was about six months. So, you know, I did have a relationship with him. It was just... As a 40, when I healed from uh, alcoholism, mm. I realize now people can only be what they can be. Right. We have to True. like <laughs> literally not expect people yeah. to do things they are not capable right. of. So I grew yeah. up, you know, watching, I think like regular television where you see these TV dads that were like, you know, yeah. ultimately always made fun of by the rest of the family, <laughs> but lived this perfect ha- right. life in this house. <laughs> yeah. And I was like... What is wrong with my father right. that this is not what's mm. going on mm. uh, in my life or my mom, for that matter? Why mm. is she a single mother? Why mm. did she marry? Right. So there's yeah. all these things. And then you realize as an adult, both of them had all of these other surrounding issues, sure. which we now learn um, are called generational trauma. Mm-hmm. And when I learned that term and mm-hmm. the truth about that, it helped me understand myself, right. my father. And literally, when we use this word reconciliation, that was my reconciling to to my family, myself and my dad. Mm. Um, and literally, this business has been part of this healing journey through battle. Like, I, when I tell people, I don't think they really get that I was a, like I was a serious alcoholic for mm. probably about eight years. Mm. It like had gone to rehab in 2010, relapsed right up until my sobriety date in 2014, which was a tremendously um, traumatic and horrible time for my family, my husband, my kids. And it was not until that um, in 2014 when I my husband had had it like enough, mm. like he was mm. done. It, I almost lost everything essentially. So mm. including, I'm lucky I still had a job, put it right. that, even though sure. I was still performing, um, uh, I'm, I've always been in sales and it's always when you're in a sales or role, if your numbers are good, nobody's bothering you. So mm. I've always been super blessed with great customers that I mm. think saw my struggle mm. and probably felt more sorry for me than right. anything else. Mm. Um, but fast forward, when they saw me a year later after being sober, mm-hmm. that's when I knew that they always knew, right? Uh, sure. So, sure. Um, and they were so compassionate, obviously, throughout that time and thankfully never did have to lose a job over something like that mm-hmm. and worked for some good companies that have always been super supportive so um but that was a battle in itself and i tell and i always share this with with everyone now because i think it's so important that we do not keep shame surrounding addictions whether it be alcohol drugs food whatever um there's a lot of shame surrounding those issues and it's a lot of the reason why people do not get well i can't even imagine five years ago um, sitting here telling anybody that I was an alcoholic because mm. I carried so much shame with course, that. Sure. But now I call myself a proud recovered alcoholic mm. and I will talk to anybody about it whenever they want to, especially somebody who's struggling mm. because it was like a limb to me. Giving up my, the drink mm. was like I having to cut off my arm. Mm. And what I learned the most from that experience was we have to make huge sacrifices in order to get well. 
But it's a process and it doesn't happen overnight. I'm telling you, that was eight years of, yeah, of going sure. through this, sure. right? Um, and and big, big struggle. But realizing that it was it's a brain, it's a neurology issue mm-hmm. that is deeply rooted. And that pathway that I created in my brain, I remember having my first beer with my friend when we were like in grade four. So I was 10. Grade four. Yeah. We oh. snuck one of her dad's homemade <laughs> beers and we drank it. But I will tell you, at that moment, yeah. I remember thinking, oh, my goodness, I love the way this makes me feel. Wow. So that pathway that I related to good feelings mm. from alcohol started at that young age. Yeah. And in this a book I read through sobriety was called The, the Power of Habit by uh, Dr. Charles Duhigg. And he talks about creating these neural pathways in our brain. Mm-hmm. So when I actually discovered that the creator made us with with the, these pathways in our brain, and sometimes the habits are not good. So we cannot just try to eliminate the habit. We have to replace it. Mm. It's not going to go away, mm. right? It has to be replaced. And mm. sometimes that's what people think. You just give it up, and but right. you need to replace that with right. something. Literally, this company I've built has been replaced with my alcoholism. Right. So it's the only way I've been able to do this. Right. And it's my new passion. And right. ultimately addiction. Like I, yep. my... Family will say, you spend so much time on this business. And I work 100-hour work weeks. Mm-hmm. Like when I'm, And that's not a joke when I'm no, talking I, about yeah, how much sure. as an entrepreneur you put I, into a project, right? Yep. But at least, as, at least this isn't such an unhealthy outcome as alcoholism. I could either be dead from that, mm-hmm. right? Or who, who knows what else uh, right. uh, would happen. But yeah. um, I'm trying to learn to have a balance, but realizing that sometimes addicts, where our brains work differently than others, but how can we work that for good instead of bad? Right. Well, again, Nanyawan, thank you for sharing that story. Um, so, you know, from this, in fact, just in uh, 2017, uh, you were awarded the uh, Social Enterprise Award for the 17th Annual Women in Business Awards from the Women in Niagara. Uh, so congratulations on that. Thank you. That, that must have w- felt pretty good. It really did. I've like I I joked that oh wow this must what it feels like to like win an Oscar or something because <laughs> it was like a room full of like four hundred mm. business people nice. in the Niagara region. It was yeah. totally unexpected. It was mm. my first year actually selling product, and we did. When I look at the sales, I'm like I can't believe that's all we were doing. But having your region back you up yeah. and the business community of where you live. Um, that was just so empowering because it's things like that, those moments sometimes of validation from different people that you would never expect really is what helps you keep going, of right? Of course. And, and I guess, you know, it's also, I think, the creator uh, in a way of saying to you, you're on the right path. Yes. Right? Yeah. Totally it's, agree. It's, yeah. So <clears throat> you, you found Cindy Blackstock. And, uh, you know, before we get there, let's, let's talk about Cheekbone Beauty. You get okay. this off the ground. You decide you're going to go with this. You had this beautiful dream. Yes. And you go, yeah, this is it. <laughs> <laughs> and and then, so what do you do? I mean, what was the first step? Um, so my background in work, always been in sales and marketing in the food industry. Okay. So when I discovered that the food industry and the beauty industry are very similar in the sense that a lot of the po- products are manufactured from the same facilities or manufacturers. Really? They're just branded differently. Okay. So when we walk through a grocery store, everything is just boxed mm. with a different brand mm-hmm. or a different brand story. Yep. And the beauty industry is very similar. There's probably sure. five major companies, mm. if you walked into a Sephora, that uh, own everything on okay. those shelves, right? Yep. So um, when I figured that out, <laughs> as as like crazy as it sounds like I could do that I could figure that out so built and created a brand first and then knew that I could I found manufacturing right here in Toronto Uh, and I really say I went in this with very naive I knew nothing about the beauty industry in the sense that I've never worked in it I'm Mm -hmm. not a makeup artist I've never um, my first job was a shampoo girl at a salon so that would be the closest uh, (laughs) step in that direction of the beauty space but I've learned a ton and I always dive really deep into any project that I'm working on so I've learned so much and looking at the industry as a whole there's so much, um, for lack of a better word, disruption that could happen, right? This industry is based on massive margin. 
um, which means margin is what makes companies money on their products. Right. And yep. it's one of the industries that they, the margins are huge. They're mm. usually running at like 90%. Like yes. it's, it's, it's insane. Yes. And why we say that? Well, I realize now it's the marketing spend the product itself actually costs next to nothing, yep. but the amount of money that they the company spent on marketing, spend on marketing spend, is yeah. why it costs so many dollars. Yep. And it doesn't; it's still with that amount of marketing doesn't need to cost as much as mm. as much as it does. So I wanted to first of all figure all that out, and then I did, and then I realized like it's the beauty industry is such a segmented space. Meaning, when you walk into a beauty store like Sephora, you'll see now clean beauty. Uh, vegan beauty, um, anti-aging, like everything has this, like it's very, there's so many pillars or, sure. or silos within within the industry. And I thought, why is there, so I'll backtrack a little bit. So within the next five years and all the research I've done now in the beauty space, we're going to see a huge shift when it comes to regulatory and compliance. So now because of the internet, which makes it easy mm. for us to sell things online, sure. businesses that are whipping up creams and soaps in their kitchen mm. within the next five years are not going to be allowed to exist anymore. Uh. That that the These big five companies mm. Mm. are going to make sure that that disappears right. through policy, sure. which is regulatory and compliance, yep. right? Yep. So we're not going to be able to do that anymore. So I knew I needed to not make this in my kitchen because sure. it's actually – you could YouTube – how to make a lipstick and right. figure and do it in your kitchen. Right. So I knew I needed to find a manufacturer that knew what they were doing. Yes. And for the first um, two years where we're at, where I wanted to test the product, test the market, yes. um, I wanted to go in it with an MVP, which is the, the minimal viable product. Okay. So however I could manufacture it at the least cost, the easiest sort of way to get yep. it to market. Yep. And that's why we, we used this third-party manufacturer for the first two years. Fast forward now and what I've learned, I believe that a, in the next five years while this compliance regulatory issue is happening, we're going to see things like clean beauty, animal uh, cruelty-free. Mm-hmm. Those are things that are now going to be demanded by the consumer, mm-hmm. meaning every beauty line needs to be clean. Let's sure. be real. Nobody's sure. going to want to put anything that isn't clean on their face. Those silos and those segments are going to disappear, but I firmly believe that there's going to be a socially constant conscious silo that now enters the beauty space, which people and consumers across all industries, just not in beauty, are going to buy products based on what they're doing and who they're supporting and what causes they help. Right. Right. So that's where I came in with uh, under this understanding that we need to not just make products, especially businesses that work on such large margins and just be here for profits. Yeah. We really need to shift our mind to mm. a more socially conscious mm-hmm. mind that the products that we sell, who are they helping? Who are they supporting? And what are we doing for the environment? Right. So now that we've tested the market with our first line, we are coming out at the end of this year with our eco-friendly line, for lack of a better word, but that's the marketing word that everyone uses. So we're coming out with zero waste products. So it's going to be a lipstick um, I don't want to get into too much details about it because mm-hmm. we're we're we, yep. we're not ready and launched yet. But it's going to be a lipstick that the packaging there's going to be zero waste, zero plastic, nothing. You, once the product is done, you can uh, recycle, or the packaging is actually biodegradable, and nothing right. is left for yeah. to to impact our planet. Right. So that's sort of the third line of that I wanted to focus on, and always knew that was coming. But as an entrepreneur, and which many um, smart entrepreneurs do, you go out and you test the market first, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. I could do it um, and could have done it the way that a lot of businesses do now. Kids coming out of business school, they go right to VC venture capital and try to get all, you know, gather this $2 million, which you need to to essentially make a business and manufacture on your own and do it that way. But I really wanted to prove the public, the market wanted this brand to exist. Mm-hmm. And um, with my sales background, our sales are have always gone in an upward trajectory, which is to me saying the market, people do want this product. That sounds great. Thank you for that explanation. And uh, we do have to take a pause. So we'll take our pause and we will be right back here on Element FM and Moment of Truth with Jen Harper. She is the founder of Cheekbone Beauty. And we will be back talking with her right after this. Yes, I forgot. We are back on Moment of Truth. I'm sorry, we've just been getting into a, a bit of a discussion here with our guest uh, off microphone. Well, we're during that break, our guest this morning right now is Jen Harper. We're going to have a second guest coming up 
uh, in about 15, 20 minutes or so. And that's going to be Brian Wright McLeod. But right now, I want to get back into the conversation with Jen Harper. It's been a fascinating conversation talking about her business, and not just her business, but many facets of around how she got into the business of Cheekbone Beauty, which is the name of her company. If you want to check it out, by the way, you can go to her website at www.cheekbonebeauty.ca and uh, have a look at her website. Now, what you will find on her website, and we will talk about this, is that Jen has set this company up not just about beauty, not just about cosmetics. It's much more than skin-deep ideas. She has originally set this up with the idea of how she can give back to Indigenous people, First Nations people, and the community of First Nations. And she talks, she's gone out, she's talked about educating Canadians about residential school and about the effects that it had on family, friends, and the generational and intergenerational trauma that that has had. She's gone to schools and high schools and universities. Uh, She talks about social entrepreneurship and... um, many of those other things. And it's wonderful to hear that, uh, Jen, that you are incorporating those elements and, and realizing that you have a responsibility beyond just uh, a, your business. Um, but, but taking on all of those things adds a great deal of, of effort you know, to a, a new entrepreneur like yourself getting a business started and off the ground. How do you manage the time to do those things? I don't know if manage is the right word because <laughs> I would definitely like to do a better job at that. Um, but you're you're right. Like this, I feel this total sense of responsibility that because um, because I healed and got well, I feel that I am, you know, have this job now to show our mm. Indigenous youth that it is possible, right? It is possible to create something that you dream up in your mind, it is actually possible to make that happen. So it is a big, big responsibility. Um, And I have my own family, which uh, has been super supportive throughout this entire journey. So I'm so grateful for that. And I know that they are so proud of everything that I've done. And they feel um, that it's been beneficial for all of us because as a family we've all learned so Mm, much throughout this process as well and that now I have two children that you know and and a husband who's non-indigenous that when they're having conversations with non-indigenous people that they're sharing little like little Mm -hmm. bits of truth about it and the a big portion of the speaking that I do is that empathy plug because we're really talking to a group of people that in so many cases have no idea. And a lot of times I think we we think everyone should know exactly what happened and what had gone on in the past, but they don't. And the, that's the fact. The mm-hmm. fact of the matter is that they don't. And maybe they're afraid to know. Maybe um, it's the sense of guilt of mm-hmm. the past. Maybe they just don't want to because they just don't care. Mm. And I always think those those ones are not maybe our audience, but we're going to continue to talk about it and leave these little seeds of truth with people so that they do see that, um, you know, uh, our generational trauma has affected us as nations across mm-hmm. Turtle Island, North America, mm-hmm. uh, globally, Indigenous people are affected anywhere there has been colonization. Um, and learning that as well, right? You learn so much when you're mm-hmm. when you're on this journey. And that we relate to each other through that. But the moments in time that we do have with people that don't understand those issues, I think are really important. And if we come at them again with that foundation of love, realizing they just don't know. And, you know, you can't, you can't beat, I guess, the truth into somebody. We have to sometimes come at things a little bit softly. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned your family. And I'm, I'm wondering, when you were saying that about especially having non-Indigenous members of the family, when you get into these conversations, are you also finding, though, that there are similarities in some situations? And what I mean by that, are you finding that uh, perhaps in, in uh, in, in some other families, they, their heritages have also had a cross between this, this colonization at some point in the past with their histories? Um, y- yes, yes and no. I, I think um, the generations of Canadians, like both of my husband's one side of his family are generations of Canada since Canada's mm. existed, as mm. well as my mom's side of the family. Um, but 
uh, I think my husband's Italian side of his family, which mm. are immigrants, mm. and I think immigrants do experience um, some a lot of similar feelings to to um, the indigenous culture. Now, you also mentioned how it's a learning family for uh, learning a learning. Uh, um, um, it's it's a learning process for your family in general, mm-hmm. and I'm wondering at this point, how does your family feel about what you've done? I mean, you've taken on this this great uh, this this new experience. You've got yourself sober. You've got yourself on a new path, a new, and you're learning. You're sharing. You're 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 becoming somewhat of a of a of a, um, a, a, um, a, a role model for for people. And what what do they? What are they taking from this? What are they learning as well? Because it is learning, but the, but it's a it's it's a very positive thing that you're doing. Yeah, I think I don't realize it sometimes how I guess powerful it is as a parent to show your kids that I screwed up mm. like royally for a mm. long time, but that's called a mistake and. Mm. Um, there's forgiveness is super powerful. Um, my kids are great. They've never ever said they don't forgive me for anything. Mm-hmm. And, and thankfully um, that uh, they were younger. But, I, you know, they've always said they're so proud of me. And when I won the award mm. in 2017, it was a PD day. And my daughter happened to be there with me. And she's a very quiet young lady and doesn't say much. But the next day she woke up. And she said, Mom, last night in my dream, I won my award. <laughs> so it's these little things that you realize yeah. that is that they see that anything like I never thought that was possible when I was her age. Sure, right. Sure. So I think we don't realize that those things and I'm not saying that everyone has to go win an award. So your mm-hmm. kid thinks that they can win an award yeah. either. Yeah, yeah. But it's like little things like that, right. that we put into our kids hearts and minds every day is what's what's important and realizing and teaching them and being really humble with them and saying look like that those were mistakes that I made but we got to uh, we can't hold people accountable for their entire life especially mm-hmm. when they're making amends or trying to yeah. for their past mistakes right. and I think as humanity unfortunately you know you see it with social media somebody does something perceived as wrong, but somebody else is posting something about it. And the public has already hung this per individual in the public court mm-hmm. of public opinion. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that is so damaging yes. when we do not know all the facts about yes. situations. Absolutely. So um, with our families, of course, they see the real us. And, you know, when I'm stressed out, my kids are like, oh, there's the crazy dragon lady or whatever they call me. <laughs> I don't know. They're like, what's wrong? Just, something's not right. So sure. they see the true, our true selves, but then they can also see that we really do try. And yeah. we are trying. I'm trying to uh, show them as as a parent, too, that hard work pays yep. off, yeah. right? Sure. And maybe, I know my, my son, he's 16, but he's really struggled academically mm. um, and I hated school and struggled mm. academically mm. as well. And maybe entrepreneurship is the path for him as, mm. as well. Yeah. Like um, sure. sometimes the school system's not set up for certain thinkers. Absolutely. Right? Yeah, it's very true. Uh, there's uh, quite a few people who didn't do well academically that are some of the top leaders uh, in many business areas yeah. in, this, in this world. So absolutely. Now, uh, let's go back to your company, uh, Cheekbone Beauty. What we haven't talked about with that company yet is... What products are you are you currently offering to your clients? So we have um, a liquid lipstick line, which is called our Warrior Woman Collection. Mm. And mm. we now have 15 shades, nice. all named after strong and inspirational Indigenous women within our communities from across North America. Very cool. So I'm really, uh, this is the, I'm most proud about this line because I, I've seen, like I thought about it when we were, when I was creating it what this could do, but I've seen firsthand what it's doing to people when I get direct messages or emails of, you know, here's me wearing my cheekbone beauty lipstick yeah. this day and it's named after Buckby St. Marie and I feel <laughs> like a like a strong indigenous woman mm. today because I'm wearing this. So that it's been really powerful for me as mm. a brand owner mm. and for our consumers and just creating this this whole ethos of of realizing that we are in this together and that we all share this special kind of power because of our pain and that we can use that and create something amazing together and that we do have indigenous role models that are come through every industry so mm. some of the women are um, Melina is an environmental activist from Alberta 
um, we have an uh, Ashley Collingbull, who it was the first Indigenous woman to win the Miss Universe pageant in 2015. So there's like entertainment icons and models, mm. and Buffy, who is mm. a musician, uh, musical icon and singer songwriter. And then recently, in our latest collection, we named one after Nikki Fraser, mm. who she's a young lady who just yeah. I met her at a conference a few right. years ago, and she inspired me because she's a single mom. Yeah, and I thought, what better of a way to show our our women uh, or anyone buying the products that you can you don't have to be this great entertainment celebrity right. to get a lipstick named after you can just be doing something awesome <laughs> like a regular person right, right? <laughs> yeah cool very nice now having said that and you, you've also touched on a little bit about how you're expanding the line you've got some new products that'll be coming out yes and how those products are going to be environmentally friendly and all those socially conscious awareness and, and elements that you're including the other thing we we didn't touch on was that it, you're not just uh, taking the responsibility of of sharing stories about Indigenous, raising awareness of the issues around uh, First Nation and Indigenous issues, but you you are also uh, taking part of your uh, profits and giving back to the community. And I believe that goes back to Cindy Blackstock? Yes. So 10% of all the profits from our store go to the to Shannon's dream, which is a facet of the, of her organization. And that, um, is all based on the story, um, and amazing work of a young lady named Shannon Costachuan, who was from the Wapiscat First Nation. And unfortunately she passed away, but she had started this amazing youth campaign on safe and comfy schools for First Nations kids. So, um, I couldn't be again more more happy to be supporting such an amazing, amazing cause and learning that 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 twenty to thirty percent funding gap is still affecting yeah. our youth today. Yeah. I'm like my, my I just talked to my dad last week and he drives our younger brother an hour off reserve mm-hmm. to go to mm-hmm. school and mm-hmm. back right just because the school yep. um, on reservation they're they're not up to par and yep. it's just it's just not fair no. and most Canadians have no idea that that yeah. that is an issue right um, and and mentioning Shannon's dream of course uh, you can go online and check that out for people that are unaware of that story you yes. can see her and you can see her speaking uh, making presentations to uh, on Parliament Hill uh, and and this is a young lady who was uh, was taking. Uh, and raising awareness about the plight of schools, because on her in Attawapiskat, they had didn't have an adequate school. They had uh, they had the portables. They were and as everyone's heard about the mold and the mildew mm-hmm. and those issues that have 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 plagued the uh, First Nation communities in the north specifically for uh, forever. Uh, and it was because of her taking that story on and raising awareness. And then, unfortunately, uh, she was killed in a car accident. Mm-hmm. And um, and it was unfortunate, but from that uh, came this beautiful new school, which is now in Attawapiskat. And I was fortunate enough to see that school. Oh wow! I was up there about a year and a half ago or so, and uh, and saw that. And so, um, it, it is an unfortunate story, but it is one that needs to be told and needs to continue. So, congratulations on on doing that. Now, there's a number that has been associated that you've listed on your website about the uh, the money that at this point on the website that says you've given about seventeen hundred dollars back to. The, that uh, needs to be updated. <laughs> yeah. But the point that I want to make is that you're sharing that number, whatever that was, and, and as you say, it needs to be updated. But I don't think it's just about what the, the the physical number that you have given. I don't think it's it's necessarily just about the financial return that you are giving back. It's about raising awareness. It's mm-hmm. about the fact that you have taken this on and you are doing it. And more companies need to be doing this. They they need to be taking that social awareness and, t- and taking that environmental stand and doing something that is yes. of a social conscience, as you have done. And congratulations to you for doing that. Thank you. So uh, to date, it's just over $5,000 that we've now donated to the organization. Um, and to touch on what you just said, it's really important that businesses that want to take on a social cause make sure that you have all your facts straight Mm -hmm. um, and you're doing what you say you are doing because there is no watchdogs in in this arena. um, But the biggest watchdog of all is public opinion. We know that. So you better be making sure you're putting your money or your plan where your mouth is. That's right. right. Because I hear a lot of businesses now um, 
and I and and that's amazing that are, want to do and support um, different different causes, mm-hmm. but be clear on who and what and where. And because I actually firsthand know many people have called that organization to ask right. about what I'm doing, uh, right? Which I love that they're sure. answering. Yes, Absolutely. she is, right? Yeah. So that's fantastic. It is. It certainly is. The other thing that Cindy Blackstock is involved is is in a Jordan's principle as well. Yes. Which is another great, uh, a great cause that she is. The whole uh, organization is yeah, for sure. It's all about our kids, everything, everything and she does. And how important is that? Like our children, for so many years, can you imagine? You go to the uh, a school and realize that you're not being treated the same way the rest of Canadian children are being treated. Mm. How is that going to make you feel? Mm. And are you going to learn or want to learn and foster a love for learning in a school that's unacceptable to the rest of the country? No, our kids need to be treated fairly and made to feel loved. And that's ultimately what Cindy's organization has done. And it's beautiful. And as the the largest growing uh, segment of the Canadian population being Indigenous... Would you not want your future generations of, of employees and entrepreneurs to be well-educated and have that opportunity so that they can contribute back to your society on the whole? Yes. Uh, you know, so there you go. It is worth investing in. Um, Jen, is there anything else you want to add or say? Because we're going to finish up our conversation. It's been wonderful having you here. I, I wish we had more time. I probably could talk for hours, <laughs> which is uh, a Especially about this, it is. It's been a passion project since I started. Mm. It, people are like, "How are you doing this? Working so much?" And mm. and and, but when something is fueled by passion, it doesn't feel like work. And I'm being 100% honest when I say that I love it. Uh, I have so many reasons to can you continue to keep doing this, and it's it's going to be um, always about our our youth. Well, I appreciate you saying that, and I. I can 100% agree with you about that passion element. If you are passionate about something, if it drives you, if it is the fuel, as you mentioned, that that gets you up and going, it doesn't even feel like work. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it's just you got to do it, and 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 you're driven to, and and you feel uh, wonderful in doing it, no matter how how hard it is. So congratulations with all the things that you have accomplished in the last little while. In, uh, in in getting over the, uh, the the issues that were holding you back and that you you had uh, pulling at you uh, you've dealt with some of those things you 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 know so congratulations and all the best in the future with your business and with everything that you're doing it, and I hope you will come back again because I'd love to hear and I'm, I'm sure our listeners would love to hear about the updated story that you're going to be telling us in the next year or two I sure will Miigwech. no oh. you know we're going to take another break, and we'll be right back with Brian Wright McLeod. Don't go away. Link Ray and Rumble here on Element FM. I couldn't think of a better song to help us introduce our next guest here on Element FM and Moment of Truth. And you are listening in Toronto and Ottawa, in Ottawa at 95.7, in Toronto at 106.5. And our guest now in the studio with us, Brian Wright McLeod. Why was Rumble an important song to mention for Brian Wright McLeod? Well, only because he wrote a book. A book uh, one of the books he, he's written is, is the Encyclopedia of Native American Music. And uh, it is a wonderful book uh, if you are interested in music and indigenous music. And I can tell you that it spans decades. And you would be surprised at, at the different uh, genres of music that indigenous people have been involved with. And uh, Link Ray and Rumble inspired so many musicians uh, right across the globe. Many musicians you would be surprised to hear about that influenced the, uh, the, the rock uh, genre and, um, and, and went on to become superstars. And it all goes back to Link Ray in many cases. And um, so Brian... Yes, Welcome David. to the show. <laughs> <laughs> Good to see you. Yeah, it's Good great to, to see you, you again. You know, we had you on the show uh, a few months ago talking about about your book and about Rumble and about your influence that you've had over the years. Uh, you've been involved with radio for quite a long time uh, with um, with um, uh, college radio. Mm-hmm. CKLN, 88.1 FM. Yep. A bit of a stint, well, freelance stuff with CBC, BBC, Mm -hmm. uh, Eros Radio Satellite Network in the U.S. Yeah. Uh, Sirius Satellite, when they first came out, is Iceberg 95. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I've been kind of kicking around. (laughs) (laughs) And 
<clears throat> what made you what made you start that book originally? What were you thinking when you when you were thinking about gathering this information uh, and you thought I got to put this together? That's that crossed my mind. What am I thinking? <laughs> <laughs> no, it came out of a, la- a need to find more artists to play on the on the, on mm. the program because, mm. uh, you know, you have your stereotypical batch like Shin Goose, mm. uh, Willie Dunn, right. Buffy St. Marie, yep. a few powwow recordings. Yeah. And there's got to be more. And other uh, programmers at the station, would, have you ever heard of Chief Russell Moore, big Chief Russell Moore, played mm. with Satchmo on Hello Dolly? No, I did not. Let me research more. And right. the more I researched, um, it just became exponentially larger and larger. And it was all that basic foot-to-pavement mm. type of investigative journalism mm. that we also miss dearly right. these days. <laughs> and yeah, I hit old record stores, secondhand shops, yard sales. I mm. found some Lee Cremo albums wow. at a yard sale one time, and mm. the person that I bought them from insulted me because I was native, and I thought, well, I guess I'm rescuing this album. <laughs> 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 so right. it's, you know, going to traditional communities and, and learning and mm. like just right to the heart hardcore of traditional communities, particularly in the U.S., because I was involved with the American Indian movement. Mm. We were out raising hell all mm-hmm. over North America. Yeah. And yeah, just uh, who are these people? What else did they do? What did they? What movies did they appear in? Mm. I mean, you get people like uh, K-Star, you have uh, jazz artists like Mildred Bailey, Keely Smith. I mean, she was in right. a couple of movies with right. uh, Robert Mitchum, I think. Right. And it was just you know, you get into more current artists and what crossovers did they do with other musicians? What albums did they make guest appearances on? Like uh, Buffy St. Marie showing up on New Riders of the Purple Sage, <laughs> Panama Red. I mean, you know, who, who can't right. love that? Right. <laughs> so it just grew and grew and grew and it had to be, I felt it needed to be documented. Mm. And it took like about eight years to put that manuscript together. And it just about killed me. And will I ever do it again? I don't know. <laughs> I really don't know. I well, need it, a team it, of people because yeah, this was a solo of course, project. And of course. who's going to work for free? Yeah. Well, I mean, when you say that, uh, you say the manuscript, but in fact, you, you're not only gathering information, you're gathering materials, you're gathering albums, you're yeah. gathering recordings. I mean, it, it must have been a massive undertaking. Yes. Yeah. It drove me crazy. Well, in a good way. Yeah. But yeah. it just, yeah. And, so. And now here we are. Here we and, are, and we we are now uh, somewhat very fortunate to to benefit from all your knowledge and all that information that you have stored, because you're now uh, part of the team here at Element FM, and we are so grateful that you are finally here, and you're going to be doing this uh, this show uh, from twelve to three uh, in Toronto, uh, specifically from from Monday to Fridays. But you know, when we say that in Toronto, uh, we have the Ottawa area that is listening and i can i'm sure uh, that in the future and even off air your knowledge is going to benefit the people who listen both in toronto and ottawa well to be humble i'm sure it will <laughs> <laughs> very humbly said <laughs> so what are you looking forward to in this new show that you're going to be doing for us what you- well it's basically just voice tracking and mm-hmm. the music is supplied so we'll see how it starts i mean that's just just one step in the right direction right and I'm sure as time goes on, things will expand. I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, because as as we say, it is it is the voice tracking thing that you're bringing. But I really know that it's it's the the knowledge that you have brought. It's that experience that you have brought to to our station that that is going to greatly benefit from from those things. And as you say, I'm sure down the road there'll be some opportunities to expand on that and bring some of that information. Uh, and, and and some of that knowledge and also the artists that you have you were fortunate enough to uh, to bring through that experience of writing that book, the encyclopedia. That's still available for people to pick oh, yeah. up. Is it it's, it's out on ebooks now. Okay, and it was published through the University of Arizona Press. I had shopped it around to all the commercial publishers in Canada all the academic publishers in Canada, everybody's, nah, no, I don't know. Yeah, well, we'll offer you 50 bucks. You know, throw us the manuscript, we'll do something. Uh, and I went to the U.S. and started the process there. 
Uh, Vanderbilt was very interested in doing it, but not enough Chicanos, not enough Mex Texans. Okay. What are you thinking about? We got open borders down here. You, you include everybody. You've got nobody here. And University of Arizona Press was just phenomenal. They turned it over in a matter of eight months. Mm. A little bit of a tiff with some of the editors. Uh, I referred to South America as South America, and they wanted it Latin America. And I said, no, this is not a geopolitical dissertation. You know, mm. even Mexico identifies itself sure. as South America. Right. So what are you doing to me? Yeah. Anyways, it was no big deal right. because we didn't include them. Yeah. We didn't include Hawaii. We didn't mm. include the Caribbeans, you know, right. the Arawaks. The only right. Arawak that got into the book was David Campbell, who was like a mainstay up in the north northern part of right. Ontario and right. Canada. He wrote a lot of songs yeah. about his experience as an indigenous person from mm. the outside living here in mm. Canada. And people on the reserves up north just love the guy. Mm. So how can you exclude right. him? Right. You know, so with, with just that little bit of information that you're throwing around there, when did you finish the book? Where does it leave off? Uh, 2005, it was published along with, uh, well, it wasn't really a, an official companion CD, mm. but it was a three CD set uh, done with EMI Music Canada, um, 70 tracks from ooh, 2005, 1905 to 2005. So we get into the wax cylinder stuff, but the commercial and starting from the reservations out to the urban areas rather mm. than just focusing on one segment. And it was all all genres of music that you can think of from right. the Arctic Circle down to the U.S.-Mexico border from right. the east to the west. And it also includes Greenland. Right. So you've got Alaska to Greenland all the way from the Maliseets on the east to, you know, the shoe swaps on the west and down into the chicken scratch territory of Arizona and everywhere mm. in between mm. in all genres of traditional powwow, ceremonial music, anything that was released commercially. Right. Um, when you, when you uh, think of that and where you've left it off, what, what, what do you think of in terms of where music is now going from the time you, you stopped that book, you left that alone, you've moved into, you're still active. Where do you, what's your take on music? Where do you see it going? What do you expect for the future? Who knows where it's going to go? I mean, that's, you could ask that to any musicologist, any radio programmer. We don't know. I mean, it's just going to explode in different ways mm. and areas. And our people are involved in creating music in all genres. Right. And doing very well at it yeah. as well. I mean, Jeremy Dutcher's album, for mm -hmm. instance, that was very creatively put together with taking some of those old wax cylinders and bringing some of his uh, traditional music back to life and, and mixing that into the, the real uh, recordings of his, uh, of his album. Um, that was very, very interesting and, and um, not only challenging, but a very moving experience, I think, for everyone, not only himself, but the listener. Yeah, so it just illustrates what I just said about who knows where this is going to go. And mm. we've got a lot to draw from, from the rich culture and heritage that we have. And our artists always seem to bring a bit of that into their into their music. Even great guitarists like Jesse Ed Davis mm. always had that something about the rhythm that he used to echo his traditional roots. Mm. Mm -hmm. So we're going to be, you're going to be starting this next week, I believe? Tuesday. Tuesday. We're going live. That's great. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, just plug me in. I, I use double D batteries just in my back. There's a little panel. I run down a little bit, just slap my back. Are, are they rechargeable or we have to... Yeah. Oh, yes. Ever okay. ready. All right. <laughs> Brian, I just want to say uh, miigwech and wanishi for coming on the show and we look forward to hearing you next week. Thanks, David. Looking forward to this new adventure. I also want to say nyawa miigwech wanishi and thank you to everyone who helps put Moment of Truth together. They include in Ottawa, Jill Kennedy, Aidan Wolf, and Caroline O'Neill. In Toronto, Janet Lamb, Andrew Johnson, Luca Capone, Kathy Zaboken, Bruce Barber, Andrew St. Germain. Nyawa miigwech and thanks for listening. This show was brought to you in part by APTN.